what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Forecast. I'm your host, Alan Burton. I'm the Director of Instruction for the Allen Burton Golf Academy at the beautiful Lake Hickory Country Club in Hickory, North Carolina. Um, welcome to the show, listeners. Today, I have a very special couple of guests here uh, joining us. A good friend of mine, an instructor um, named Kevin Britt. Uh, we're going to make sure that everybody has heard of Kevin Britt after today's show because it's uh, probably the best-kept secret in the game of golf when it comes to instruction and coaching. And he is joined by his number one PGA Tour player, Mr. Will McGirt, and I am excited to have them on board, and they've cracked up early this morning to join us, so welcome, guys. Appreciate you taking time out and joining us for the show. Thanks for having us on, bud. Yeah, it's uh, my pleasure for sure. I've been looking forward to the opportunity to sit down with you guys and just have a good conversation about what has been going on in both of your worlds, and I know your, your fans out there, Will, are excited to hear that you're working hard to get back to the PJ Tour so you can add to that $10 million in earnings that you have uh, amassed thus far in your career. Um, kind of go into a little bit of detail over the, the show today and let us into your world, if you will, about what's been going on and, um, and getting you prepared to come back and play golf. Well, I had uh, hip surgery September 5th of last year. Um, I had FAI correction and labral repair and rehab been going pretty well up until about May. And I started ramping up the rehab, um, ramping up the practice, trying to get ready to hopefully take a um, couple of rehab starts on the, it was a web.com tour at the time. Um, whatever it is now. Um, corn fairy. It's kind of hard to say that in that corn yeah. fairy. <laughs> it's um, odd. But I had a week where, you know, I started really ramping up practice and went at it pretty hard three or four days in a row. And, you know, by, by the fourth or fifth day, I mean, I couldn't move. Um, so I was wondering what was going on with that. Went back to see the doctor, had an injection, hoping to calm it down. Injection really didn't do anything. So uh, went back in, um, I think it's August 27th, and they're going to remove the scar tissue clean it out and uh hopefully this will be be the end of the surgeries and I can get back to fully practicing and, and hopefully get back to playing in the spring sometime. Yeah, that that's exciting to hear. I know the process has been long and, and drawn out and very arduous to get back to, you know, completely physically fit and ready to play at that level. Uh, I don't think our listeners are always aware of what PGA tour players have to go through to play at the highest level and that's one of the things that our show, you know, can give a little insight to uh Let's talk to Kevin for a little bit and kind of bring our listeners up to speed on who this young man is. Kevin Britt and I have known each other for a little while. I think we met at a, at a mutual Aimpoint uh, instructor function where we taught some Aimpoint to some folks down in the Greenville-Spartanburg area where Kevin is. Um, Kevin is probably the, the best-kept secret, as I said, in the industry about golf instruction. He's taught a lot of famous players over the years, and even the Golf Channel has mentioned his name incorrectly a time or two as Kenny Britt. We want to clear that up, don't we, Kevin? 
it's not Kenny Britt, it's Kevin Britt, and uh, he is, uh, uh, you know, going way back, is kind of responsible for one of the better players on tour at the moment. I think most everybody knows who Dustin Johnson is, and you worked with Dustin when he was just a young, a young lad there in Columbia, South Carolina. Tell us about some of that. Yeah, um, yeah it goes way back. Uh, worked with Dustin when he was in middle school all the way through high school, and uh, he used to just come out and basically he was a uh, – I keep one of the kids that just showed up every day at our range and practiced a bunch. And he was just kind of a fixture there, you know, as, as just one of those, one of those guys that was just there all the time. So just spent a lot of time with him as a, as a young guy. Yeah. And I know I've had the pleasure myself of, of joining you and traveling down to Augusta national, watching the masters. And, you know, I have a, a very fond memory of, standing at the back of the number one green on Thursday's round when Dustin comes off the first hole after making a par. And, you know, he goes by us. And, of course, it, at Augusta, you can hear a pin drop. Uh, nobody's making any noise. It's the first round. It's a very serious environment in a major. And Dustin walks off the first green and walks right through the walkway to number two and says, Brit Dog! I mean, it's, it's so <laughs> funny. Uh, yeah, so it kind of speaks to your relationship with with Dustin and uh that was very exciting to be a part of for sure. Yeah, we still get along really well and talk from time to time and you know, Dustin's just he's just a great dude. Yeah, absolutely. Really special stuff. And you're also working with some very talented uh female golfers. I know you've got a great uh reputation for taking these young ladies and getting them into college and getting them scholarshiped and then from there hopefully they can make their step onto the big stage. And you've got a young lady, Lauren Stevenson, that you've been fortunate enough to assist and she's made her way onto the LPGA tour this year for the first year as a rookie and doing very well. So tell us about Lauren and some things that are going on in her game. Yeah. I mean, Lauren, Lauren's always, uh, she's always been great at every level she's played at her junior career. She's been very successful and then played at Clemson and then Alabama was on the Curtis cup team and the Palmer cup team. And like I said, just, just has always been very successful. Uh, her last year in college, she was the golf week player of the year. Had uh, one of the lowest scoring averages in the in the NCAA history. Um, this year, being a rookie year, I think she's doing pretty well, and uh, uh, pretty much already secured a card for next year. So I think just big things are coming out of her the next two or three years. Yeah, having qualified a couple of times for U.S. Opens, and and as you mentioned, being part of the Curtis and Palmer Cup team. So this young lady's got a bright future ahead of her for sure. Yeah, she could be, you know, she can be a real superstar out there on the tour. And like I said, in the next couple of years, it's it's gonna be fun to watch. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know watching the career of uh, Will McGirt and everybody's wanting to kind of understand what's going on. We want to get get you back out there making some cash. And you know, you you've won a PGA Tour event, at the 2016 Memorial, which is probably one of the more desirable events to be uh, a part of, especially as a as a past champion. Tell us a little bit about your love of, of that area and the golf course and, and what that tournament means to you. I mean, the golf up there is so good. It doesn't matter really where you go. Um, you have so many great courses up there. You've got Scioto right down the street, uh, the golf club, Double Eagle Club, uh, the Scarlet Course at Ohio State, Muirfield Village. There's just a ton of really good golf up there. Um, and I've played a bunch up there over the years, um, various places. And, um, you know, you go to Jack's place, get to play there every year. Um, it's a pretty special place to start with. And then, uh, to have Jack and Barbara there, um, 
makes it really, really nice. And then obviously to win his tournament, um, just kind of icing on the cake. Um, you know, the people there are phenomenal. Members are very welcoming. The staff there is, is top notch. And um, it honestly is one of my favorite places that I've ever played. Um, 2012, I went up there as the first alternate. Drove up on Tuesday, played a practice round, you know, literally driving through the gate. I'm like, wow, you know, this place is pretty special. And go out, play a practice round, walk off the golf course. And I mean, just blown away at how good the golf course is. And um, instantly became my favorite event on tour. And I didn't even get in the tournament that year. Mm -hmm. Um, So fast forward four years to to be standing on 18 green, having Jack hand me the trophy. um, You obviously know how elated I was. And um, I just enjoyed going back there. Um, Kevin and I were back up there about a month ago. Um, Just went up to play golf and hang out and enjoy it since I didn't get to go play the tournament this year. And, um, you know, they they could not be any nicer up there. I mean, it is a great group of people, you know, members, staff, everyone. And um, it's one of those places you could could spend all day, every day, and uh, never gets old. Yeah. Well, I don't think I'll be letting the cat out of the bag, Will, to, to let our listeners in on a little secret on what a nice guy you are. And, and I think that probably <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier for everybody else to be nice to you. But I know that they are nice to all their, their players and especially past champions. But, uh, you know, anywhere you go, you're going to be treated like, like a hero because you're that kind of guy, man. I just want to let the listeners know you there's no secret. You're a super, super guy. So uh, well, celebrating your 40th birthday up there, I understand, recently with, with your buds. Yeah, I turned 40, uh, I guess, the week before. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a last-minute thing. It's like, hey, let's go play some golf. And, uh, yeah, you know, nice to get away and, and go play three days in a row. And, um, I mean, that was – honestly, that was the most golf I'd played in a row in almost a year. So uh, getting back into it and played okay. And, you know, it was nice to see. And the good thing was it was kind of a test to see where my game was. Yeah. Um, cause that's not an easy golf course. You know, the rough wasn't as high as it was for, for the tournament. The greens weren't as firm and fast, but, uh, I mean, it was still a butt kicker. I mean, that rough is really, really thick. I mean, they went in, um, I think 2017 and reseeded the rough with a very thin bladed grass. And it used to be deep, but very playable. And, mm-hmm. Now, I mean, it's pretty much you hit it in the rough. A, you hope you find it. B, you grab your wedge and you hack it out. And uh, they're starting to put a premium on driving the golf ball again. You know, the fairways are very generous up there, but if you miss, the penalty is pretty severe. And, I mean, honestly, I wish I wish more courses would go to that kind of rough. I mean, it gives me an advantage because I do drive it pretty well. Mm-hmm. And uh, there should be some penalty for missing fairways. Exactly, exactly. So I understand you had a – a, a neat little guest that played along with you guys, maybe in a round up there. I understand maybe Jason Day was part of that festivity for a round. Yeah, so Jason was out practicing Tuesday. Um, I got there Tuesday. Kevin, the guys flew in Wednesday, and uh, you know we're out there hitting balls together. and And I said, "Hey, I got a couple of buddies coming in the next couple of days. Um, if you want to join us? We'd love to have you." And uh, so he joined us Thursday. And uh, played nine holes with us. You know, he, he was getting ready for a long stretch with the uh, 
Open Championship and a couple other events, WGC this week. Yeah. Uh, so he really wanted to get some work in on his golf swing, but uh, it was great to have him come out and, and play nine and, and, you know, be with a group of guys that are not pestering him to death. And, right. uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that if he hadn't have already planned to spend a bunch of time practicing, he'd have joined us for the back nine as well. And, yeah, um, yeah it was a fun time. And, uh, you know, it's good to kind of see where my game is compared to his right now as well. Well, I think of you as one of the better putters on the PGA Tour. I know Jason Day falls in that category too. Would uh, how would you compare your putting game to Jason when you guys played together? Well, considering that he's put a lot more practice in on his putting than I have, um, <laughs> his was a little bit better than mine. But yes. yeah, I think that's one thing about Jason's game that's very underrated. Yeah. Um, he's one of the best wedge players and one of the yeah. best putters on tour. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, he get, he gets a lot of credit for you know how far he drives it and how good he hits his irons. I don't think he gets enough credit for his wedge game and his putting. Right. Um, I mean, I can tell you when the ball comes off of his putter, if it doesn't go in, you think it's going in it's the whole look, time. I mean, it like scares the whole in, yeah. every single time. Yeah, and um, you know, obviously, he's one of the best chippers and wedge players in the game, or he would never have been number one player in the world. Well, I had a conversation at a PGA show with his former caddy, uh, Colin Swafford, and just to get a little insight to his typical practice, and he spends sometimes as much as 20 hours a week just working on putting, which mm-hmm. I thought was a, you know, a fascinating thing to hear. But you, you hear you know, players that complain about being terrible at putting. I said, well, you never practice. And I said, a tour player spends 6 to 12 hours a week and sometimes a lot more. And when I heard 20 from Jason Day – like, wow, that's that's why they're so incredibly good, you know. Well, that's I think it takes. there's a lot of tour players that spend 50% of their practice time on the putting green. Mm-hmm. And then of the 50% that's left, you know, a lot of them will spend 30 to 35% on wedge play and chipping, bunker mm-hmm. play. So you're looking at 15 or 20% actually hitting balls. Right. Uh, you know, golf is not a game of, of how well you can hit it. It's a game of playing your foul balls and how good your foul balls are right. um, and your ability to recover from that. And I think that's what a lot of the average golfers don't understand is they think we spend all the time on the range when we're at the practice area. It's not necessarily the range. Right. Um, you know, you're, you're tipping, hitting bunker shots, uh, dialing in wedge distances, and then doing tons of different putting drills, you know, speed drills, stroke drills working on matching speed and break. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Kevin and I actually spend time calibrating aim point and going through and hitting a bunch of putts or, or using the perfect putter to roll the putts to uh, to see how, how well I'm actually reading the putts. Right. You're, you're definitely going down the rabbit hole a lot deeper than these recreational golfers out there shooting 95 and trying to figure out why they why they don't play like the guys on television. You know, with, with Kevin sitting beside you this morning, let's get into some of the things that you guys work on and what you're trying to do with your golf swing, maybe if you guys feel comfortable talking about some of that. I know our listeners will be fascinated to hear how a, a, a tour-level coach works with their player. I know I've witnessed it myself. It's very fun to watch. And, and the magic sauce that Kevin brings to the table and, and helping you develop your, your swing, the way you want to see the ball fly in the air. And what is it you guys are working on these days? I know with your physical limitations, you're not able to practice as long and hard as you might want to. But when the when the cloak comes off and you get back into um, back into your full physical ability, I know things will change. But what do you guys do from day to day 
on on your swing? Uh, you want to start with kind of where we started? <laughs> <laughs> we started somewhere between a disaster and okay, let's just completely rebuild. Um, you know, we really started from I, I won't say from the ground up, but I mean, really from the ground up. Um, you know, I, I was staying on top of the ball. I was lifting the club. I wasn't turning enough, wasn't creating any space in the downswing. So I was steep on everything, uh, high hands and flipping. Right. What, and a, what else? And a reverse pivot. And a reverse pivot. Um, and, and how much of this do you feel was related to your, you know, your physical injuries and what you were dealing, dealing with in your body? Some or? Well, I, th- I think a good bit of it crept in over the last 18 months. Um, if you go back and look at how well I played in 2016, I mean, I hit it pretty darn well every single week. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I can't tell you one particular time, one particular shot where everything started to change. But, uh, you know, over time, I mean, these things are very gradual. Um, you can go from having really good mechanics to being a complete disaster, you know, over the span of a month or so. Sure. And, um, you know, just kind of fell into a downward spiral and, you know, glad that we're starting over and kind of rebuilding everything. And, you know, honestly, it feels really, really good right now. Um, yesterday, I felt like it was one of my, best sessions in a long time. Um, and, and the crazy thing is my swing speed is still not back to pre-surgery numbers, but I'm hitting the ball farther. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot, a lot more efficient yeah. with the delivery of the club. Um, maybe a little bit more compression. Um, definitely got a little higher launch. Um, so a lot of things that are, that'll help in the long run. If I can figure out how to, to pick up that extra three or four miles an hour that I'm still lagging. Um, I am 40 years old too. So I'm getting old. I'm losing some club head speed. Um, but I feel like if I can, can pick up uh, a couple more miles an hour, I'll probably hit it considerably farther than I did even say 2016 when I was swinging at it really well. Right. Well, and I'm sure Kevin can speak to this. You guys are using technologies to measure your progress and, you know, it's so important for our listeners to hear these technologies that are available help give the player and the coach you know measurement uh, data to work from and that's that's fascinating to me um, when I hear players at the highest level talk about they're not really into the technology they like to kind of just wing it or feel it and this and that but I think it's great that you guys are using the, the available technologies to measure what you're doing. Uh, why don't you, Kevin, kind of speak to some of the things that you're using and how you like to use these technologies with your players and guiding that progress? Yeah, I, I don't use it a bunch, but I do use TrackMan 4, and William also uses FlightScope and Foresight. So um, we have we have a lot of technology, including body track. So, I mean, we – we're using a lot of stuff, but in our normal practice session, we don't we don't use a bunch. Yeah. Uh, in attention to uh, more how the ball's working, so go off more ball flight. But I think the closer we get to tournament time, we're going to dial you know dial carry distances in and certain other things a little bit more with the launch monitors. And uh, I think it's good to keep an eye on. But day to day, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in technology. That's why I have it. But uh, at the same point in time, I've taught a long time without it, so yeah. I, I, I go both ways with it. 
I'm, I'm kind of the same way, Kevin. I think it's a great tool, and you, you want your players to have information, but at the same time, you, you don't necessarily have to have it on every swing to understand what's going on if you know how to read your ball flights. But um, let's go backwards a little bit into, um, into your world as a golfer, uh, Will, and, and talk to us about you know, your college years maybe. How did you make your way from a, a really successful college player down at Wofford in South Carolina how did you make your way from there onto the PGA Tour? I know it's it's, uh, it's an interesting story. Well, I mean, if you go back to even my younger days, um, I played a lot of golf basically as soon as I could stand up. Um, everybody in my family played. They had me on the golf course at a very young age. And I played until I was eight years old. Um, did not play again until my 15th birthday. Went out and played with my grandfather. Um, first time playing golf in seven, eight years, I shot 83. And less than a year, I was, let's see, that was 1994, five, somewhere in there. Um, basically, in less than a year, did broken par for the first time and uh, fell in love with the game, spent tons of time practicing, um, worked at the golf course. So I would show up, practice, play, whatever, and then I'd go to work. And, um, you know, in college, you know, I had a really good freshman year. Um, the Southern Conference Freshman of the Year won a tournament. Um, didn't play very well my sophomore year. My junior year, I had a great year. Um, won Augusta State's tournament. Then we didn't get invited back the next year. Not that I'm bitter or anything. Um, yeah, I finished runner-up at the Southern Conference Championship and uh, played okay in summer golf um, that year. Then my senior year um, – hurt my knee in the first tournament up at uh, Newport country club in Rhode Island. Um, hit a ball that stayed on the face of the bunker, went to step up on the bunker and my foot slipped and I was sitting on my foot and, uh, ended up having surgery that off season. And the doctor looked at me and said, I don't know how you didn't tear your ACL, which tore everything else. And, um, you know, so that kind of set me back. And then, my last college tournament was Southern Conference Championship, and uh, I actually beat the guy in a playoff who beat me the year before. So, uh, you know, it was a nice way to end my college career. But, you know, looking at it at that point, I really hadn't done anything to justify trying to play golf for a living. And um, so I played amateur golf in 2001, 2, 3. Had played really well in 03, won the North Carolina Amateur and the Cardinal Amateur, um, made match play at the USAM. And then played amateur golf the first half of 04 and played pretty well. And I thought, well, if I'm ever going to try it, now's the time. So uh, got married Memorial Day weekend, um, went on our honeymoon, came home on a Saturday and left on Monday to play a mini tour down in Myrtle Beach for three months. And, um, you know, spent six years playing mini tours, made six or seven trips to Q School before I ever made the finals. And um, finally did in 2009, played the Nationwide Tour in 2010, finished 34th on the money list, and went back and finished second at Q School that year and been going ever since. Wow. So it's not an overnight deal, and I think that's fascinating to hear too when, when, the, when our listeners go, wow, no, this, this every, guy is. Uh, <laughs> you know, for every guy that you see, like a, a Matthew Wolf or, or Colin Morikawa, the guys that have just won recently, right. um, Victor Hovland, those guys, I mean, they can flat play. But I think for every one guy that you see like that, I mean, there's eight or ten more like myself. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, for the longest time, you know, Charles Howell got his card straight out of college and then nobody did it for a while. I think Jordan Spieth may have been the next one to, mm-hmm. to not go to Q school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody thinks you just step out there and have success. I mean, yeah, there's some kids that are really, really good. They can flat play. They can jump out there and have the success that, that Matt Wolf and, and Colin have had. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a whole lot more guys that get their nose bloodied and hmm. get their teeth kicked in pretty good and don't ever make it. Then, and, and I tell people all the time, I mean, there's a thousand golfers in this country that can win on the PGA Tour. They just haven't gotten a break at the right time to get a start or, or whatever it may be. Right. Take advantage of it. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to work with a few of those young players trying to make it to that next level. And you know, one of one of the golfers that I've had the opportunity to work with some has shot 65 in Monday qualifiers three weeks in a row, and he got in one tournament. And it was it was a PGA Tour event. It was a Wells Fargo a couple of years ago, and. Uh, you know, 65 on a Monday, got into an eight-way playoff for a spot in a web.com event the next week, and a 65 the next week, didn't even get into a playoff. So three in a row, and you get in one tournament. So it's obviously very hard to do, and, and we understand that as coaches and players. And it's, um, you know, when you're seeing guys on Sunday on television playing for a million bucks, um, you don't know the, the sweat and the, and the tears that went into getting there. So it's nice for our well, listeners you want to see something that. interesting – Go on Twitter and follow. I think it's Monday Q Info. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it pop up the other day that and it listed all the scores that got in, or it listed all the scores this year that ended up first alternate. And I mean, the stroke average is like sixty six and change or sixty seven and change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you I know, you sit there and scratch your head, and you know, like if you shot those scores every single week, I mean, you've played some pretty darn good golf and you get zero starts and that's, that's right. the amazing thing. That's right. Yeah. It takes 62 or 63, a lot of Mondays to get in. And, um, and then it's really tough for that player that shot 62 on Monday to sustain that for the week and make the cut in the event, you know? Really well, especially knowing that they've had to grind it out on Monday, all of a sudden their plans have changed Monday night. You know, they've got to, find a hotel, figure out what they're going to do for the week, find a caddy if they don't have one with them, and then go play a practice round Tuesday morning because you're not going to get to play on Wednesday because of the pro-am. Right. You know, and you need to get some rest. <laughs> and you're still hyped up from Monday qualifying. So, you know, that's what makes it kind of hard. Yeah, exactly. No question at all. Well, you guys have um, – you guys have, um, you know, I would think – a really interesting relationship and how you guys met there at the country club of Spartanburg, I guess is an interesting story and how you came to, came to um, your current relationship. You know, Kevin's there working probably 14 hours a day. And he was telling me as, as it was going, he says, man, Will, Will's such a nice guy. I want to help him if I can. And I hope I get the opportunity. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, he's like, man, I'm working with Will. I'm working with Will. We're working on his golf swing. So Kevin, tell us how that came about. I mean, did you, uh, you have any special magic dust you sprinkle to get these players to come your way other than just your other player success or was it your fishing boat that he was trying to get a, a ride on? <laughs> Maybe you yeah, enticed him with your fishing boat, you know? Thanks to go fishing. Um, uh, basically, um, I was hired at the country club of Spartanburg to be director of instruction and junior golf director. And uh, basically just putting in a lot of hours up there. And I think William, saw me teaching some good players and and uh so we got to know each other as friends first and just kind of uh 
just shooting some stuff off each other. And then, uh, you know, one day he just asked me to take a look at a swing. And um, so we just talked that day and didn't really do anything. I was just kind of trying to get a feel for what he was trying to do or accomplish with his, with his game. And then um, I think later that week, uh, I actually worked with him a little bit. And, and uh, so he was, uh, he was still on the road playing, but you know, when he'd come home, I'd, I'd take a look at him and just kind of check some stuff out. And then we got kept getting a little more serious about it and then put a little more time. And, and, uh, after a while, um, you know, I just became his full-time coach probably about uh, a little over a year ago. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great story and how you guys, you know, you, you like one another. First of all, I think it's important that that relationship is you're good friends. You know, you guys spend a lot of time together, so you got to get on well. I got the opportunity to spend a week or so with you guys down in Florida at the PGA show. I really enjoyed your company and, um, as well, and I got to watch you guys work. And we went over to, um, you know, TPC Sawgrass there, and uh, spent the entire afternoon watching. You know, Will it was probably the, one of the first few times you had hit ball since coming back from surgery. And I was like, wow, God, he's hitting so good. We were trying to get you to play a little earlier than you were saying you're going to play. <laughs> you're hitting so good. And uh, you know, just to watch you guys work was was really fun. It was it was a great day, and and appreciate all the hospitality that you gave us that week. And getting us into the locker room there was special. Having a little lunch with you guys was special, and I know we all got bag tags. And uh, Kenny Britt got his own special bag tag there. We'll never forget that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Not a bad locker room to hang out in. Pretty darn good practice area. To- Absolutely. Well, and you know, going back to. Yeah, the thing with how Kevin and I met. Um, so he started in March of 2016 and, and probably two, two and a half months before I won. And I, I'd see him out there. He'd finish a lesson. I'd be practicing. He'd ride over and we'd chit chat. Mm-hmm. Never once did he say anything about the golf swing. Never once did he offer any advice. You know, only if I asked him, did he say something? And he'd give me his opinion. And he always had facts to back it up. And, you know, I kind of watched how he was working with other lessons. Um, and then right after I won, um, I called him. I said, hey, I want you to start working with my son, Mac, uh, so that he can hit a shot in the par three in 2017 right. the Masters. Yeah. And, you know, I watched I, – I mean, number one, I've never seen anybody with so much patience with kids. Um, and, and you look at all the juniors at our club and they absolutely love him. And that's, that was kind of the first thing that struck me. And then, you know, over time, hey, KB, can you take a look at this? Hey, what's your opinion on this? Well, you know, you'd go from a, hey, take a look at a ball or two to, hey, you got an hour, you got a couple hours. Here, I'll go ahead and block off a couple hours kind of thing. Right. And it just kind of led, you know, progress from there. And um, it's been fun. I mean, we talked last year before the before the surgery about what we were going to have to do to to get my golf swing back. And I mean, we pretty much he mapped out a plan and we stuck to it. Um, you know, with the lovely winter that we had this year, um, seemed like it rained all day, every day. Yeah. Uh, we spent a bunch of time over here in my basement, hitting balls into the net. And yeah, it was good because we weren't focused on ball flight. We were trying to get the mechanics to change. Yeah. And you know, once it warmed up, dried up some, go back outside and, now you get to watch the ball flight and see, you know, if the changes of number one, if they've stuck, number two, how they're working. And, um, yeah, I think we've done, 
done wonders to my golf swing and, and I'm really starting to, to understand it. Number one and number two, get comfortable with it. Yeah. That's a difficult thing for anybody going through some swing changes that, you know, the feels of their golf swing are, are always kind of interesting to discuss. And Kevin's a great, great instructor and has the ability to understand how to get the player to, to move their body so that that club motion changes and get that ball flight that they're looking for. When you're seeing the ball in the air with, say, a seven iron, is there a stock shot that you like to see? Is it a fall to the left or fall to the right, or is it a pretty straight ball that you're you're trying to create with a seven iron stock shot? Well, it's line? definitely starting right and falling left. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm one of those guys that I don't mind how much I can hook it. Um, in fact, I mean – I've, I've dared him a couple of times to get me to hook it too much. <laughs> and uh, just as long as it starts right. Um, yeah, I think when you're practicing, you have to go to extremes so that when you get under the gun, you can still do it. Right. Um, anytime you get under the gun, you're going to kind of revert back to old habits. Or, you know, let's say you hit 30-yard hooks with a 7-iron all day in practice. You know, you get under the gun, you're probably going to knock it down to be maybe a 5-yard draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you really have to push the limits and practice to, to be able to hit these shots under the gun. Yeah, trying to work your path more from the inside and get the path out to the right enough so that ball's drawing, falling left. Do you st- you feel the same way with a driver? Do you feel like the driver needs to move a little right to left to be comfortable, or is it a little different ball flight? No, driver's the same. I mean, I, I love to draw everything. Um, I've always been one to play play my irons from the middle of the green towards a pin. So mm-hmm. – Right pin, start it in the middle, let it fall right towards the hole. Left pin, start it in the middle, let it fall left to the hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's always kind of been my thing. But, you know, as far as a driver, I've never been super comfortable hitting it left or right. I can do it when I need to. But, you know, my go-to shots, you know, just move it a little right to left. And, I, and I've tried to get it to where my miss is going to hang right. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's not really a left miss. Um, as much as it is just a dead straight ball that, you know, I didn't quite match the face and path where I wanted to. They're, they're, they're kind of zeroed out together. Yeah. That's interesting to hear. I, I think every player has to be a little bit more aware of um, their intention so they can build a golf swing to create that ball flight. And it, it just starts with what you want the ball to do. You know, that's, Kevin's a good coach and be able to find find answers for that for each player when they're, Trying to create a certain ball shape. Uh, no, you ball bought a. What was that? That golf ball does not lie. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Does exactly it's what the club tells it to do every time. Yeah, absolutely. I always say to my players, I said, "You know who the best coach here is, don't you?" And and I'm, they think I'm bragging on myself, and I say, "Best coach here is that golf ball." And if you don't know how to read what that golf ball's saying, then neither one of us need to be here because that's my job to teach you how to read that golf ball. It's your best coach. So I know you bought a putting technology when you were down at the trade show, and you said you, you've used a little bit, you know, the environment that you can use that technology out on the putting green kind of speaks to um, what players do when they've got a left-to-right putt versus a right-to-left putt. Uh, I consider you a great putter, and looking at your putter, you had a little bit of a wear spot there in the very center, higher, a little higher than – I would say the very center vertically, but up in the top of the club. And I see that with good putters. Tell us about why that's the case and, and why that's a good thing to do. You hit the ball a little bit above the center uh, when you're looking well, at the vertical center. You, you're able to, number one, you're not dumping the club and adding loft to it. 
You right. start dumping the Madden law, if you're putting backspin on it, now you're going to struggle to control your uh, distance. Um, you hit it off the top of the club, that means you've got some shaft lean, um, which allows you to get the, butter, the putter to come into the ball low and rise through the stroke through impact. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember talking to Faxon one day, who's arguably one of the greatest putters to ever play, and he grabs my putter out of my bag and he looks at it, pulls the head cover off, he looks at me and he said, you figured it out, didn't you? <laughs> what do you mean? He said, hitting high off the putter. Yeah. And I said, you know, I've never really thought about it. I mean, I just hit putts at that point. Yeah. So we kind of went back and forth with, uh, you know, a little putting chat and, you know, come to find out, I mean, that was kind of his secret was hit it high on the putter face and get it rolling better, um, control your speed a lot better. And you're able to get that rise through the stroke. So, uh, you know, I think using Capto has been has been good for me. Um, the biggest thing is seeing your tendencies. Um, one of the first times I used it, I was a little bit confused because I I didn't know, you know, what they were basing zero off of. Um, there were a few things that I was still a little up in the air about, but the one thing I noticed was the consistency numbers were pretty good, um, and then looking at straight putts versus right to left putts versus left to right putts, um, straight putts. I was returning the putter face dead square pretty much every time right to left putts face was almost always open at impact Mm. left to right putts. It was almost always closed at impact. So, you know, it really didn't make any sense to me until I started thinking about it. Kevin and I were talking about it and, and it makes perfect sense. You know, your mind kind of senses that you haven't aimed properly or you may be aimed properly and your stroke is moving properly, but your, your mind knows that that ball is breaking left to right. You need to give it some more room out on the left. And uh, you kind of subconsciously change the, change the path or change add or take off a little face rotation. Yeah. And um, it, it's, yeah, it's kind of nice to be able to see that. Though, yeah. I think that's interesting for a player to know that they don't, they don't have the same stroke for every putt. They don't have the same mechanics in their stroke for every putt. And it's, it, it's human. You know, you're an athlete. You're trying to make the ball do something, make it go in the hole. And how you do that and successfully do that is uh, is really fascinating stuff. So most of our, our listeners are, I would say, um, not able to hear these types of conversations. So we really appreciate you guys taking time to share some of the insights from you know, the coach's mind and the player's mind. What um, what can we share with our listeners is going to help them practice better, Kevin? I know, you know, they, they're out there on the range. They're trying to hit the ball farther. They're trying to get a little control over direction. I know you've got some insights to their practice tendencies that you see with your members there at the Country Club of Spartanburg. If you could say one or two things to most golfers when they're practicing that would improve their practice, well, what would you tell them? Uh, you know, just take your time and make every shot count a little bit more. I see a, a lot of people just rapid fire mode. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, William stays out there for a long time, but, you know, he gets behind every ball, you know, checks his checks his alignment. I mean, before he hits every shot, he's just not pulling balls and, and whacking stuff. Yeah. Um, kind of yeah. the quality versus and, the quantity, huh? Yeah. And, you know, most people don't practice your short game near enough. I mean, if you're not practicing your short game, probably 75% of the time you're you know, you're not going to really achieve your scores that you're looking for either. Right. Yeah, every player has a different goal. And if it's to improve their score, they probably do need to spend more time on their short game. And uh, I know with Will, 
Yeah, Will is a, is a PGA Tour player, just turned 40. Um, looking back on your career thus far, I know you're not, you're not done by any stretch, but if you could go back as a young man and say, man, if I could have done this more or this differently, what would you say that would be at this point in your career? I mean, honestly, I have no idea. And I try not to look back and, and go, God, I wish I'd have done this or I wish I'd have done that. You know, a lot of times what you're doing is you're reacting to the moment, um, whether it's during a tournament or even in your prep work leading up to tournaments. You know, you're kind of reacting to how things are going at that moment. Um, yeah, I guess the only thing I would have changed was I'd have gotten my fat behind in the gym a whole lot sooner. Um, Getting into the gym maybe a little earlier, you yeah. say? Yeah. Um, you know, other than that, I, I really can't say that there's any one thing that I would definitely change or not. That's fantastic. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I've never been one to to want to look back a lot of times and get, and second guess myself. Yeah, you know, you, you feel like when you're in the moment, you're making the best decision you possibly can. And we're all human. I mean, we're going to make mistakes, and you know, you try not to beat yourself up too bad over them, but you try to learn from them. Exactly. Yeah, my dad always says, uh, you know, my dad's a pretty common sense guy. Eighty three years old, he shoots his age on the golf course quite frequently, and I take his old country boy sayings and try to apply those to my life and my golf and he always says son you're going to make mistakes just keep making new ones <laughs> a lot of truth in that just keep making new ones uh and he, he also said this he said uh you can't do better until you know better you know and that that's kind of true in a lot of ways as, as well you have a lot of uh you know professional relationships and uh i know one of them is top golf and Top Golf has done some amazing things for our game, and you speak to that a little bit. What do you think Top Golf is doing, and and what are they doing to create such a stir and get these non golfers into our game and maybe get them to sample it? Well, I think the biggest thing they're doing right now is they're bringing people to the game that would not normally go play golf. Um, they had there, there was a study done last year that you know roughly sixty percent, uh, give or take a little bit of all golfers that came to the game last year started at top golf. And I think what the biggest thing they're doing is they're providing, providing a venue for non golfers for beginning golfers to go practice, hit some balls, do whatever, play the games that they have and get comfortable with the game before right. they go, just jump on an 18 hole golf course. Right. Um, you know, they're growing so fast. They they have so much stuff good going on right now. Um, you know, they're opening like I don't know, fourteen or fifteen new Top Golf's this year. Wow. One in Greenville opened earlier this year. There's one in Charleston opening up. I think one in Myrtle Beach just opened up, um, and they're all slam full all the time. Yeah. Which tells you that there's still interest in the game of golf. Um, Maybe just not people that are willing to give up five or six hours of their day, but there's an interest there. So, right. you know, they've kind of captured that market that, you know, hey, you can come have two hours of fun and, and not feel like you have to be prim and proper and abide by all the country club rules. I mean, they've got music blaring, you know, food, drinks, whatever you want, um, and you're still able to play a bunch of games out there. Yeah. And uh, my son loves it. You know, both 
both my kids, if they see a net driving down the interstate, I mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they know what, what that is. is. That is top golf. Well, no, it's not, but they think it's always top golf. So, <laughs> you know, which, which is good for top golf. You know, if you've got kids that, that recognize that top golf has a nets and they see a net and they also automatically associate it with top golf. I mean, that's what they're looking for. Right. You know, driving people towards their business. So, uh, you know, I'm just glad to be a part of, of their team. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a really, really great thing. And uh, I think golf courses were a little intimidated by the, their presence initially, not understanding what that's going to do long term. And I think it's going to be a, a tide that rises all boats, so to speak, uh, over the next 10 years. Who knows what it's going to do for golf courses that can sustain themselves and stay in business, uh, which is obviously a top, uh, a top golf initiative. And uh, um, kind of a business model, so to speak, that golf courses probably need to look a little closer into if they want to stay in business. Um, well, and I think one thing that, that Top Golf does, you know, you've got the music aspect, you, there's no dress code. Um, you know, a lot of people are intimidated by country club rules mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily private clubs. You know, it could be daily fee courses with tons of rules. Um, you know, I think if we want to get more people coming to the game, more people staying in the game, you know, maybe we need to kind of relax things a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand that golf's always been a gentleman's game and there's always been certain customs and traditions. Um, but at the same time, times change. Um, you know, every, every business evolves to, to keep up with today's age. And I think golf's kind of lagged behind over the years with that. Right. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I certainly see that. And uh, it's harder and harder to get people to come to the game. So, uh, kudos to Top Golf for figuring some of that out and putting an, an opportunity out there to get those non-golfers into our game. Um, well, tell us what's going on the rest of the week. You guys have any big plans? You're going to be playing some golf. You're going to be working on some golf. I know Kevin will be teaching somewhere. You guys got anything going on? Well, about 15 minutes, we'll be on the range here. 15 more uh, minutes to let you roll. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. Um, It's been a fun chat. You guys have shared a lot of insights to what you're working on. And, Will, we'd like to get you back quickly to watch this this career complete in a really big way. I mean, there's a Hall of Fame waiting on a Will McGirt plaque. And, uh, <laughs> I got a whole lot of wins coming in my forties. Then a couple more wins <laughs> and and some majors, you know, might get it done. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. Um, you played well before you know you were out, and, uh, and you played very well, even injured. So I'm excited to see what a healthy Will McGirt's going to be able to accomplish. So let's set our sights high. I know Kevin's got some high goals for you, and uh, he's he's looking for a new bass boat. So we need to win some tournaments when you come back, man. <laughs> Well, you know, there's a lot of lot of good that's happened um, by being out for last year. Um, just want to keep getting stronger, keep getting my golf swing better, and uh, you know, now it's time to start working on short game and uh, really focusing in and getting ready for for next spring. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like I'm gonna have a pretty good year when I come back because I'm not gonna be worried about my left hip and is this a swing that's gonna hurt? You know, whatever. You know, I'm just kind of excited to to get going again and, and have this opportunity and hopefully I can beat some of these young kids. You know, that's the one thing every year when these new crop of kids come out, they all hit it longer. They hit it straighter. Mm-hmm. They're better chippers or better putters. We just have to hope that they're kind of young and dumb and don't know how to play the game. And it takes them a while to figure it out. Uh, that's what lets us old guys compete. 
Well, I think you'll have no trouble competing with these young guys with your wisdoms. And uh, you have obviously a deep knowledge of your game and the game itself and, and how to strategize your game on a golf course. And that's going to be your tremendous edge when it comes to beating these young kids that don't know how to strategize themselves around a golf course. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I have to play within myself. I mean, I'm never going to be a guy that's going to fly a bunker at 320. Yeah. Maybe in Reno, downhill, downwind. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna beat guys with precision. I've got to get it in the fairway, get it on the green, and, and make some putts. I mean, these guys can blast away and hack wedges on the green. You know, they can do that all day long, but that's never been my game. And, and I understand that I can't try to compete with them doing that. Right. Well, that that's your skill, knowing your game and being able to play your game, and and not letting these guys intimidate you. You know, um, that's that's part of it. And there's a lot of skill out there, and. Uh, we wish you well. We think you're going to do great. I know with Kevin by your side, you're going to get some good factual information to keep building your swing and building your confidence. And when, when that health falls into place and you're completely healthy, we're going to be excited to see you hold up a few more trophies. I hope you guys will come back and uh, maybe do a show in a year or two once you're back out there winning. You come back and tell us about how, uh, how it feels to cash a few more big checks. Absolutely. Tell us how Kevin Anytime you want us to come on, we'll be glad to do it. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you again for joining us and uh, sharing a little time with us. I look forward to seeing all you guys down the road soon. And to our listeners, thanks again for listening. We are always available. The inside scoop on what's going on on the PGA Tour, and we'd like to thank Will McGirt and Kevin Britt from the Country Club of Spartanburg this morning and Will's home in Spartanburg, South Carolina, for joining us. Guys, Thanks so much. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Al. All right. Have a great day, guys, and hit them well. See you soon. All right, listeners, that was our show. I really appreciate you joining us today. And if you'd like to get in touch with our guest, Kevin Britt, the Country Club of Spartanburg Director of Instruction, Junior Golf, PGA, LPGA, and Tour Coach, please reach out to him. His email address is kevinbrittgolf at gmail.com. And uh, let him know that you're interested in uh, working with him or you just make any comments you'd like to make about the show. If you'd like to look at the williammcgirt.com website to keep in touch with William and all that's going on in his career and follow his career back to the PGA Tour, that's his website, williammcgirt.com. If you'd like to reach out to me, my email address is allen, A-L-L-E-N, at allenburtongolf.com. Thanks again for listening to us on TheMesh.tv and all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, golfers, keep it in the fairway. You've been listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.